Who were you before you lost your wild self? That's what we're helping you explore on the Tend Her Wild podcast. Through questions and tools around how best to listen to your inner voice, rewild ourselves, and live the most authentic life where we thrive instead of survive. I'm Betsy. And I'm Kate. And we're so glad you've joined us for this episode. Our listeners, we'd love to invite you to a live urban renewal retreat. It's happening September 23 through the 25th, so Friday night, all day Saturday, and Sunday morning at the Hotel Vetro, which is in the pedestrian mall of downtown Iowa City. In this retreat, weekend retreat, we're hoping to bring people together with an opportunity to take the explorations and teachings from our recent Tend Her program even deeper. So you're going to meet all of the Tend Her team as we work to recommit to our bodies, our hearts, our intuition, and to each other. So if you want to check that out, go to dryogamama.com backslash tend, T-E-N-D, dash her, dash the number two, dash zero, dash urban, dash renewal, dash retreat. But we will put that in the show notes so you don't have to remember all of that. Hope to see you there. In today's episode of Tend Her Wild, we are joined by a special guest, Fanny Hungerford. Fanny is a creator, teacher, and a spiritual seeker based in Iowa City. She's a lover of people, and with a great interest in the human condition, her teaching is grounded in the energetics and psychology of yoga and provides experiences for the soul alongside tools for leading a less burdened life. Lately, she's inspired by the interconnectedness of things and what arises when we show up authentically and listen. Fanny specializes in yoga nidra and practices which lead us into the spaces of deep knowing and heartfelt experience. Fanny leans on the wisdom of the earth, her colleagues, and loved ones. And with over 20 years' experience practicing yoga and meditation and 15 years' teaching, she holds many certifications through peri-yoga and continues to study and practice. She's on faculty at the University of Iowa teaching yoga and the theater arts department and is also a graduate student at Mount Mercy University studying becoming a marriage and family therapist. She leads retreats, yoga teacher training, and seasonal classes. She has three kids and loves tacos. <laughs> we are so happy to have Fanny here as part of our Tender team. Thank you for being here with us today. We're yeah, so happy to have you. you. Yeah, you we love your energy and yes. your enthusiasm. Can't wait to have this conversation. Yeah, get close to the microphone. <laughs> Lean in, Fan. Yeah. Lean in. Get on the mic. Get on the mic. Yeah. We always start with where you came from those first 10 years, we feel like it is just such a foundational question that we ask everyone. And as we get into more conversation about your work and your uh, connection with the Tend Her program and talking about connection, uh, we would love to hear about your roots and show yeah. us some of that Southern accent mm-hmm. that you yeah. got. That's like right away, I'm going to start sounding like I'm from the South. Um, you are. I'm relaxed. Yeah. So I was born in South Carolina and 
I am the only child of my parents, but I do have siblings that were from a previous marriage, but I'm my parents' second marriage or whatever. They were each other's second marriage and only one child. And But I grew up in a household of five in South Carolina. And those first 10 years, my brother and sister are a lot older than me. So I think classically, a lot of people would say, or, you know, officially, maybe I'm even an only child. Mm-hmm. Um, they were seven and eight or eight, eight and nine years older than me, um, and, or are, and my household was very much an artistic household. Uh, my parents are both involved in theater. My mom was a theater professor and director, and my dad eventually became a professional actor at a point, um, you know, while I was alive, he transitioned careers a couple times. Growing up, he was more involved in public school system and doing some theater on the side. And then he made a shift into pursuing acting full time. And so and then my brother and sister were musicians. My sister was a visual artist. So there was a lot of that in our household, a lot of creativity, a lot of self-expression, Definitely plenty of wackiness and dysfunction <laughs> and like family stuff too. Um, As but, all good families have. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I sort of, I often say that the theater raised me that um, like, yes, there were nannies, you know, like a babysitter here and there, my older siblings, but like I was just with my mom at work a lot um, in the periods where my parents were no longer together and she was single momming, like it was me and her a lot of the time and a deep connection with her. And then like, I would just, she'd be directing a play and I'd be there every night with her, like with my sleeping bag and the back of the theater. Um, and like what I realize when I think about connection and when I think about like stuff I'm learning right now about attachment theory, being in graduate school for marriage and family therapy, that like not only was there my parents and family members, but it dawned on me today that all of those people, like all those adults that were doing theater, like either my mom's students, if it was at the university or people from the community in community-based theater, like those adults were part of my upbringing too. Um, And I had all of this beautiful love and connection, these tribes, right? Because that's what happens when you do a play. It's like an instant family, like, you it, it happens quick and it happens deep like or, or it happens quick like the bonds form really deeply quickly and then it's over right it's like this six week or two month sort of plunge into creating together and so that that hit me this morning as I was contemplating your question of the impact that that sort of the all those other people in my life had in terms of supporting me um and being seen and like being a kid, but also I think in some ways I grew up really quickly because I was around a lot of adults. You were part of a lot of families. I, would, I was a part of a lot of families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I've always marveled, Van, at your capacity to create connection with people really quick. I've told you that. I've told mm-hmm. you that. I feel like that's one of your superpowers is that you have this capacity just to meet people and connect and then connect them with other people. And so suddenly I have a new awareness of why that is. Yeah. Right. You were in these theater moments where, like you said, you get really connected with people really quickly. So you learned that early on. I think all of that is sinking in for me. Right. Because I've known it's a quality I've had for a while. And then as I reflect, I'm reflecting now on what that that time really was, um, I'm seeing that thread. 
And around my parents separated and my dad left um, to pursue theater. Um, well, actually, before they separated, before he separated, he left to pursue his career. Um, and so I definitely have a lot of like work versus family wounding um, that has been part of my part of my process at like in becoming a mom and having a husband who works and all the things. Um, so he left to pursue his passion though, right? He left to pursue theater, but you can't be a professional actor in South Carolina. So he was living in different places and we would go visit him. Yeah. So that like period of seven to 11, things really shifted. But when I look back, that's also when some deep forging of connection with my mom emerged and all those I think that seven to 11 is the period where I really remember like the theater is my babysitter or these other communities of connection really arising in my life filled in that gap Mm -hmm. it takes Mm -hmm. a village right Mm -hmm. like all Mm -hmm. these people helping raise you Mm -hmm. well I would actually love um, to hear more about if you're open to talking about this process between family and work that you sort of were faced with when your dad went to pursue his dream and like how you're working through that because I think that's such an issue for so many women (sighs) around like how do we balance raising these children that we're committed to and following our hearts and our dreams and trying to find time for ourselves. And I think it ties really well with this tender program where we're Mm -hmm. helping women sort of come back to themselves. We're we're really coming out of a time where it was all just integrated for two years like there mm-hmm. was no separation mm-hmm. two for a lot of women so it's like what is the new normal you know so I even mm. think in the last couple of years it's we've shaken the this up yeah. in people yeah yeah something I think about a lot for women in particular is that with each generation it's been different you know so like the role model model mm-hmm. is you know like our moms did it different than grandmoms and like we're doing it different you know like it's 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 changed so much our roles um over the even just the last 100 years but I'll say like at the time I wasn't aware of it right like sure. as a kiddo I wasn't conscious of like he's choosing work over family it then became later in my life right as I'm an adult and you start to reflect and process and all of that and and definitely when I became a mom I think that's when it really surfaced. I, I became a mom and at around eight, I think age 30, yeah, 30, I had my first and my husband was working full time. We'd moved to this community for his job, you know, and so I was processing that. I can remember so clearly, I, I think I'd been even listening to a podcast or something. Maybe my kiddo at that point was like two or one. And um, just one of those moments where you're like, you spend a lot of time on the living room floor. Um, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, whatever it might be. And I remember having this huge aha moment in, I I think, I can't remember what I'd been listening to or what the process had been, but I think I'd done some sort of exercise, like a contemplative exercise or an inquiry. And this aha moment just pierced through where I was like, wait a minute, like I'm feeling all this guilt about working or like how much am I going to be around my kid or how am I going to balance these? Can I pursue what I want? And I looked back on my own mom and I was like, oh my gosh, like there are things I'm frustrated with about her, things that I wish had been different, but her career 
is not at all one of those things. Like, mm. never was I angry <laughs> that she was at work. Never was, like, her career and the work, the imp- and not even just her career, the impact she made in our community, whether it was through teaching, through who she was as a human being, through the work she did as a director, like, that was huge. And I had so much, and I still do, had a lot of admiration yes. for that. I was never like, as yeah. a kid, like, why does my mom do this? You know, I was yeah. proud of her. And that was like, whoa. Now, needless to say, like, I'm still, I still process mom guilt. And like, sure. I have a real, it actually just came up yesterday, this like tendency when things get intense in the house, my kids are struggling or whatever it might be almost an immediate thought that will come in is why am I even trying to work? Why am I even trying to, I'm trying to do too much. I should probably just be a mom because that in and of itself is enough. Right. So that thought still Mm. comes in. I think that has more to do with like, I've got to do it all alone. That's more trust stuff. Right. Like who else can we lean on? Right. Mm -hmm. Which is really the community Mm -hmm. side of all of this for women. Mm -hmm. And I love the admiration piece because we've talked about this. I feel like the the model you're setting for your kids is that when you are passionate and you love something, they're going to want that for themselves. And you're 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 modeling that for them mm-hmm. and you saw that in your mom and mm-hmm. so of course you were proud of that and and didn't harbor yeah. negative feelings about it. So I do I think there is a lot of lessons for the next generation in women stepping into their purpose and their power. Yeah, yeah, totally. But I also want to point out what you said, which I think so many women struggle with too, is the, like the very black and white dualistic thinking of like something goes wrong and we take it on. Well, it must be because I'm working. It must be because I've got a job Yeah. versus right. Like do our partners think that ever or right. right? It's sort of like we take on the brunt of the guilt if something's not going well with our children and there's so many factors why our children are struggling yeah or like accepting that there's going to be hiccups right Right. there's going to be a breakdown no matter what like even if I'm home all the time like things are going to break down and for me there might be more yeah Yeah. (laughs) exactly I might not be as okay yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so So where so then high school came were you involved in theater in high school and yeah when did you become a theater kid oh quite young you had yeah. no choice really also, <laughs> I mean I think I did have choice but I was in it so dance and okay. theater um, dance and theater were a big part of my life and there's but as a dancer you have to sort of make this choice um, kind of quite young I think as like you might with a gymnastics or other sports thing like are you going to go all in right. you know and they really huh. as a dancer you you have to make a commitment at a certain point like are you going to dance every day or not And I just remember this like existential crisis as like a 10 year old or nine year, right? You're just like so young. And I was like, shit, do I want to be an actor or a dancer, right? It was like this whole (laughs) um, contemplation. And I realized, no, I I think I want to pursue theater more. But I kept dancing, you know, so I would dance like two days a week as opposed to five or six. So I kept dancing throughout. Um, High school came along. And I, at that point, was still very immersed in theater um, and dance. Uh, got to be a part of some really cool youth, like teen theater groups, actually. You know, I have a lot of visions for a lot of things I want to create. And something I really would like to create a model of something like that. Yes, yes. That program yeah. here in Iowa yes, City. Yes. It was just oh. like weird and quirky. And we got to bring all of our 
freakness to it. Um, mm, yeah, it was cool. really fun. And then I, I was really blessed that I got to go away to um, an arts high school. Um, and so I went to boarding school my last two years of wow. high school, um, which was a totally different experience. I was living in New England as a southerner. And it was be- it was so fun. I had a Huge great growth, time. I'm Huge sure. growth. Um, really different experience, but a lot of fun. Yeah. And um, yeah, and there was an interesting moment there where so many of the people that arrived, it was the first time they felt welcome, right? Because they'd been the weirdo. They'd been the artist. They'd been the freak in their community. I hadn't had that experience because I had grown up in a family where... There was so much of that. There was, we were around queer people all the time. We were around artists. We were around, you know, it was just like an eclectic group. And um, in my childhood and like the people my family spent time with because it's theater and it's a theater's often like a safe place for people to come and be who they want to be. And so then I got to school and all of these other people it was their first time feeling a sense of community, right? But I, I was like, oh, I, I've already had this. But but a real community grew there. And what's interesting, actually, now I'm even, like, tracing a thread to what you're saying, Bets, of, like, mm-hmm. your superpowers bringing t- people together and making people feel comfortable. Like, I was the student body president there, like, in my senior year, which had nothing to do with, like, I mean, maybe it did leadership, but it was, like, a comfort, right? I felt really at ease yeah. with like all the different groups of people there and um, would lead morning assembly and oh, I can just oh see gosh. it. Oh my God. <laughs> like it, was, it, was, it was a real beautiful time in my life yeah. and also hard too, but really, really, yeah. you know, awkward. I had a lot of unrequited love in high school. Mm. I'll say that too. I love that. It took mm. me a long time to find partnership. I feel like the, I'm having these memories for myself. I feel like theater allows you, especially at a young age, so in high school, mm-hmm. to step out of all those boxes and be something else. Mm-hmm. So did you have a favorite part that you remember playing in in a production? Yeah, well, that's a good question. What was your favorite role? Mm. I don't know. I, I really loved doing Shakespeare when I was young, but when I kind of moved on from high school and college and young adulthood, um, now I'm like, why are people even still doing that anymore? Um, <laughs> uh, but it, uh, I don't know. I don't really don't have, have one. Yeah. Well, I'm going to share because it's coming up for me. Yeah. I was in Arsenic and in, Lace. In Lace yeah. And I played a drunk old woman, ah, uh-huh. which was, you know, it, 17 like was not me mm-hmm. but it was oh, come the on, most Kate. fun well <laughs> no I'm kidding. I'm kidding I'm kidding not on stage so uh for me that was a huge like out of the box but so I had so much fun playing that mm-hmm. and when else is it acceptable to yeah you know so it, it, I do think there's such value in in like you said just being free to to act and even more in today's world, like getting more kids to just mm-hmm. create, create, be mm-hmm. creative and mm-hmm. be free. And Betsy, your kids are doing it. I mean, and so are yours. Mm-hmm. Like it's, and my daughter did. I, I think there's a huge opportunity young that frees kids up later to like mm-hmm. take chances and mm-hmm. take risks and, and be themselves mm-hmm. um, because that community encourages and supports you in that and so that those lessons stay with you that you are enough that you you know and that's what is coming through for me right now Kate as we've talked with various guests and I think you're showing us this as well we've talked to several 
women that early on weren't put in the boxes, right? Like we talked to a singer songwriter who grew up in New York and she, she didn't have these boxes and she was really involved in theater as well. And I sort of feel that for you too. Like you had this really eclectic artistic household and I'll never forget a a hike with you in the woods where we had this conversation about your mom and how you were given this opportunity to just be yourself. You could be whoever you were as out there, like with no judgment and like what a gift. Cause I think we're also talking to all these women who had a lot of boxes placed around them. And that's really what we're trying to do with this podcast is help women sort of get free of all the conditioning. So yeah, I mean, I'm getting emotional right now just as soon as you brought it up because it's my, my mom. I've, I've recently just expressed so much gratitude to her, but she was like so liberated and so free to be herself and wild and didn't give a shit about mm. what people thought of her mm. um, in so many ways. And so I had that role model. Yeah. And uh, she inspired so many students. I mean, I really saw... I can look back and see how many people felt comfortable with her and would say, would you call my parents and tell them that? Or like how many, you know, students, you know, she was an advisor in her, you know, in her program and all that stuff. Like she helped people feel comfortable being themselves. My friends felt comfortable at our house. They could be themselves at our Mm -hmm. house. And she like, you know, she would say that her mother and my my grandmother was like this amazing like a southern belle hilarious <laughs> like just like life of the party but put together and look beautiful all the time and my mom kind of would just like wear whatever she wanted and like socks and sandals and like lawn dresses <laughs> and like smoking cigarettes all the time and like sitting on the floor with her legs spread, you know, like she, and that's how, like she was imitated a lot and loved, right? Lovely admiration. But she would say that her grandma or her mom, like often said, you know, like, cause my mom went to an all girls college or something and like, was like, just go into that all girls college ruined you. You just don't care how you look anymore, you know, and all this stuff, you know, but like, who cares? Right. She was just being herself. Um, so yeah, I did, I did really have a, a model of a woman that was free to be her with a, and very little attachment, right? She was really good at practicing non, or I'm seeing that now in life, just good at practicing non-attachment mm. and or acceptance she's so accepting of what is Mm. and that's also a beautiful gift gift. you know the last time I saw her was in the spring and I was crying saying goodbye and I was just like I wish we lived closer and I just hate that I don't only see you a couple times a year and she just looked me right in the eye and was like fan that's just not the phase of life we're in right now (laughs) You know, like, right. She's so fucking right. You know, like, but I'm being like, why can't it be everything? Like, why can't I, like, have my family in Iowa and be with you, you know? And she's just like, that's just not where we are right now. You know, and yes, comforting. It's so Mm. real. So I'm seeing this lineage, this beautiful lineage of Mm -hmm. the wild woman. Mm -hmm. And I, like, have Mm -hmm. chills right now. And actually, Mm -hmm. I have tears. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, that your grandma was a wild woman. Mm -hmm. And then your mama is Mm -hmm. a wild woman. And you, like, I have said this to you, like, the first time I met you right away, I was like, I need to know her. (laughs) I felt you're just, like, gorgeous, wild, beautiful, fun, exuberant energy. And now I know you're a little Hattie Rose. Mm -hmm. It's like this lineage of wild women. And 
um, how powerful that you have four generations of it, right? And maybe more if you look back, right? Mm -hmm. And how to keep propelling this forward and then inspiring other women who haven't had that same lineage. They've had a more compressed lineage, right? I'm just so gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Like what you're doing, what Hattie's going to do just with that freedom. Yeah. And to me, it really illustrates the power that we all really have. Yeah, the impact. The impact we can make as women Mm -hmm. for each other, for our daughters, even for our mothers. I feel like our mothers can learn from us. Yeah. You know, it's so, um, sometimes I think, you know, it's hard right now. You feel very powerless. But then I look at something like this and I'm like, that is the power we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I think even you know, it doesn't have to be mom, right? I mean, it is a gift, right? That it is this lineage, right? But there are lineages that run through us that come from a lot of different spaces and places. And those experiences that we've had or the people we've encountered, the friendships we've made, those little impacts and ripples that Mm -hmm. unfold, the mentorship, the community is, you know, so I think it can come in a lot of different forms. And we all have this deep lineage with, earth if we're aware you know can yeah. be awake to it yeah so and that all comes down to the power of connection that's what i was gonna mm-hmm. say she's speaking about mm-hmm. connection right yeah. now so help us connect a little bit more your life path because i think it's such a beautiful one you went off to college you studied theater yeah mm-hmm. and then you went to chicago mm-hmm. to pursue theater and then you found yoga Mm-hmm. Will you take us on this little mm-hmm. journey here? Yeah, I got, got exposed to yoga like while I was in college at the University of South Carolina, like at the rec center, you know, something like that. I actually can remember since we've been talking about my mom so much, I remember talking to her as I was going and she'd probably been to some yoga classes, you know, like in the 60s or 70s, right, or something. And I have this faint memory. I think there's a photo somewhere of her and friends doing some yoga at the beach one year, not like at our beach house. And I'm like just sitting there watching them. <laughs> um, but I just remember I was like kind of looking around, telling her I was living at home at that time. You know, I went to college in my hometown, which I never thought I would do. My mom was even my professor at one point, but anyway, oh. it worked out. It all worked out. And she, I remember like, I'm going to go to a yoga class. And she was like, oh, you're going to love it. You know, because you're an actor and the body is your instrument, right? That's something you hear a lot as an actor. Um, You know, the body is your instrument. Same as a dancer, but like you got to take care of your instrument. So I knew that. But it's a a common thing. A lot of theater people do and and dance people, but theater people end up in the yoga world because they do often have that mind-body, hopefully, that mind-body connection or they've already been working physically. Um, So... I see it a lot in my work now. Um, and so I, I sort of naturally fell into it. I got to Chicago, started to explore studios because in South Carolina at that time, that would have been like right at the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like there weren't a lot of yoga studios. There was like one yoga yeah. studio I went to, I think, in South Carolina at that time. You know, now there are lots. But so I moved to Chicago and there was a lot there and started to explore studios I really distinct, I distinctly remember the first class I went to where I started to feel very much that like tantric philosophy of where we place our inner, where we place our mind, the energy is going to follow. And, you know, just some cue of like 
be aware of your back heel, right? It was something really simple like that. And all of a sudden I was like, wait, my mind is in my left heel. What's going on? <laughs> um, you know, it, and then it just progressed from there. And I started to get more in, more in and was doing theater, working in restaurants and doing not really much dance. I would take dance classes in Chicago. Um, and then I kind of, as I got more into yoga, there was a period in my like mid, I guess kind of late 20s, where I had a sort of crisis of identity in a way because I'd been so my whole life, right? You're like, when did you know you were a theater kid? And I'm like, forever. I mean, being a professional actor is not a glamorous life. You know, like it, it it's it's not a glamorous life, you know, similar to being a yoga teacher, right? It's like, it's a hustle. Amen, sister. Um, it and it's, there are only a few people that are really successful, right? And I mean, I went and would visit my dad while he was working as a professional actor, you know, and like he's staying in some weird efficiency apartment in Philadelphia, right? Because you're doing a season there, you know, it's whatever it is. But I was like, I want to do that. I want to be a regional theater actor. Like I never wanted to be like a star of movies. I wanted to be on the stage, right? Which again, it's a pretty meager lifestyle, but I was, I was committed. So I had this sort of crisis of identity of like, what am I going to do? Like all of a sudden wanted to pursue yoga and I was like, but I'm an actor. Like, what does this mean? And, um, and so there was a shedding, there was like a transformation, a big release of like, it's okay. Cause right. To commit to teacher training, to commit more fully meant I had to say goodbye to some other things or I was not going to be available in the evenings to do theater, like all or weekends, whatever it might be. And, but I went for it, right? I just stepped forward with the help of some friends, right, that could see me and could really say, like, no, do this, do this. And, um, you know, never looked back uh, and kind of kept going. Well, maybe I, yeah, no, not look back. I'm longing for more of that in my life now. But um, so then I just started to dive deep into yoga studies, and I had the gift of, meeting a really advanced, well, some great teachers that led me to a really supreme teacher that I got to work with for a long time. Yeah, you and, got like the Harvard of mm, yoga training. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you so really went all really in. Deep. And yeah. I drank the Kool-Aid quickly and I was like, I'm, I'm sign, I'm, I want to do it all right now. I'm like in this breakaway phase of like, ah, post lineage and ah, certifications yeah. and what is this game we all play? But, but I'm grateful for yeah. the, the Harvard education because now I can kind of, you know, be well, a little more wild. I have to say, when I think of yoga nidra, mm-hmm. I think of Fanny. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Let's have Fanny talk about yoga nidra <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. because she is, uh, she's a master at this. I mean, she really, there's something about her voice, her energy, how you put it together. Yeah. But maybe a lot of people listening might not even know what yoga nidra is. Yeah, yoga nidra is like most commonly thought of as yogic sleep is how um, many people consider it. Um, but yoga nidra is a lot of things, right? It is a state of consciousness. It's really thought to be the state beyond waking, dreaming, and sleeping. Yoga nidra is a goddess, um, so we invite the goddess herself in in these practices um, or we are interfacing with the goddess and the practice can be utilized for a multitude of things I mean we all know we're working too hard and we're exhausted and we know the impacts of stress and exhaustion and what it's doing to people's bodies and minds and so you know first of all like that it's even being recognized you see in the last few years like that people are wanting it people want more rest people ask for those sorts of practices and are showing up for those sorts of practices. Um, 
So I think in the beginning, it's oftentimes just a practice to like recoup, you know, to like bring back in some ojas, bring back in some vital sap, you know, so that you feel restored. And then once you kind of progress a little more and you're, you've got some of that restoration built in, it, it can become a practice for dreaming a new future, um, for spiritual awakening, for planting seeds of intention, for insight, for tapping into intuition, as we've been talking about in the program, um, hearing, feeling connected to ancestors, connected to earth wisdom. You know, it becomes a practice you know, one of my teachers has said, and I wholeheartedly believe this, that yoga nidra is an adaptogenic practice. Mm. So like certain plant medicines, right? They come in and they give you what you need. Yoga nidra has that quality too. Yoga nidra is like Beautiful. an adaptogenic practice. It comes in to whatever the individual is needing at the moment. And if that's sleep, it's sleep. You know, I had to sort of decolonize my own approach of like, we have to stay awake for yoga nidra. Um, Because that's how I was sort of taught. And now it's like, you know what? Maybe you need to sleep, you know? And then then it's sleep. Or you need to have a big aha moment. And Yoga Nidra is going to do that. Or you need some sacral healing or that right hip. You know, like, it will come in and give you what you need. Um, So, yeah, I've really devoted a lot of my own practice and study to that. And you asked about the pandemic earlier, Kate, just when we didn't quite follow up with that. But that's... I did have a huge radical shift in my own practice as in that March of 2020, where I couldn't really do my seated practice, like my formal meditation practice anymore. Like there was too much turmoil externally and in my household and in myself. And so I, 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 I turned to yoga nidra. That became the practice, like because seated meditation was too much. Like I couldn't commit to it. I was avoiding it. I was turning away. And then I was like, oh, I can lie down. I can do nidra, yeah. you know, and, and, and for women and moms and really, I mean, anyone, you know, I don't want to just say women, but, you know, it, it's, it's the time it's, it is, I truly feel the practice for our times, you know, with yeah. the amount of depletion and the turmoil. And, and I think meditation is really hard for so many people. And, you know, because I've been doing it now for 20 years and like I came in at a time to my practice and deep study of yoga before the advent of the smartphone, um, we're, we're just seeing a difference, right? And what people's capacity is mm-hmm. to stay with, I think, so the formal meditation practices yeah. that, that maybe we're able to, I'm able to do because I've been doing them for a long time. But people that are new to it, I, I think yoga nidra is oftentimes a way into a meditative practice that yes, maybe seated formal meditation that we're like traditional is harder. Right. I yeah. bet you see that in the college students you work with. Oh my with. gosh, I do yeah, so much. And them. what a gift. Like when I was saying that people are realizing it's what they need. That, so I, I teach this semester long course for undergrad. Well, anyone like a student, students at the university, and I've been doing it for 10 or 11 years. And, you know, I I describe it now as like a class in social emotional learning (laughs) almost more than anything else. So, I mean, yes, we practice asana and we learn meditation and we do all these things, but it's a lot about just who you are as a human being and like how you're living in the world. And, um, so we do yoga nidra quite a bit. And my favorite part of the semester is when they start to ask for that. You know, it's like when they're, you know, they start to realize like they may come in thinking they want to do the more active stuff and like 
you know, this is going to be my extra my workout, workout for the day. That I yeah. show up for. And I tell them pretty early on in the semester, like, if you signed up for a workout class, this ain't the right one. You know? like, <laughs> like, there'll be days where it's hard, but it's also going to be hard for other reasons. You know, right. like, it's going to be hard to lie down, even though that seems weird. And then eventually they realize lying down Crave is a gift. Yeah. Um, so, and I, this year I did a, well, every year I do like, they do a meditation challenge that is like a three week, four week or three weeks of meditation. And this year for the first time I put in a week of yoga nidra, um, and they all loved it so much. Mm. They loved it so much. So uh, yeah, the accessibility, right. There's, it's, there's a lot of accessibility there. I was just thinking about how much your mom has shifted. You talk about your mom shifting young people's perspectives as a professor. And I, just having talked to you over these this past decade that you've been doing this, I know what an impact you've had on so many university yeah. students because you do take them deeper. You make them look at themselves and contemplate things that uh, their average class never asked them to do. So I think there's the lineage again. You're, mm-hmm. you're doing the same thing that mm-hmm. your mama did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we got to liberate the healing tools and we got to liberate the wildness, you know. Yes. I had a teacher the last few years that she often is like, liberate the healing tools, let's share them, let's share them. And I love that. And as I'm thinking about mom and the work y'all are doing and that my mom liberated wildness for me, Mm. you know, and so that. Talk more about that. Like, what do you, what's your perspective on what we need to be doing now or women need to be doing or how do we like keep liberating our wildness? (laughs) so good i think permission to fuck up is a big part of it um that's, that's, that's like gonna the be first the title of this coming, episode yeah. coming to mind right like because the the perfectionist which yeah. i've struggled with a lot just from other you know like non-pleasant aspects of my childhood that we haven't taught right that's like i gotta be perfect and i'm gonna do really well and i've been quite successful in the whole rugged individualism and let me prove myself um so permission to mess up is part yeah. of it, you know, and and being okay with that. And, you know, uh, to me, like, it really feels like move. We got to move more. There's yeah. like, mm-hmm. you know, the whole move like sitting is the new smoking. I look at that um, now from this perspective, our uh, the rigidity in people's bodies. So whatever movement feels good, I think, is a big part of it. You know, I'm in graduate school as Kate shared in my bio to do marriage and family therapy. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go do this. But, you know, I also truly wholeheartedly believe that we can all heal by just like screaming and dancing around a fire. Yeah. You know, like the healing can happen there. Um, yeah. And so that I think is part of it, you know, just tapping in to liberate the wildness almost is to just tap into the fundamental parts of being human. Yeah. You know, that, that are, if we, you know, I think we, I know we all carry indigenous knowledge. We all come from people who were not colonized at some point. Mm -hmm. And if we can start to see how much colonization has played a part in the confining of our spirit, that's a big part of it. Decolonizing our minds and tapping into the deep wisdom that we possess as human beings to be part of this wild earth. Our spirits have been confined. I agree. The way that you just put Mm -hmm. that, our spirits have been confined. How do we, how do we find the freedom? And I find it honestly, like I'm thinking about you sitting across from me right now. I find it in other women. Like Mm -hmm. I, it's like, I can spot the women who are free in some aspect of their life or do you see Mm -hmm. what I mean? And it's like, I want to be around them. 
I want to, yeah. I mean, I want to be with Fanny because she makes me go dance at the front of the Englert when there's a <laughs> band playing. And I'm like, no, we can't go down. And you're like, yes, we're going down to dance. Right. You know, it's, yeah. it's like we help each other be more free and yeah. be more wild. This is actually yeah. bringing back, bring me back to the connection piece too. Cause even just what is the small thing, right? What's the small thing we can do in our day? And I think oftentimes it is like saying the thing you want to say to the person, to the stranger, to the yes. friend that you run into, um, you know, letting the comment come out that as you walk by someone like those pants are amazing, <laughs> like as opposed to just thinking it right, like or yes. s- like talking to the person at the checkout, like those small connections are a way we can liberate the wildness and liberate like reweaving our humanity with each other. Because partly these last few years we've gotten so isolated, but also I feel like just in general, we were like, we're, we're afraid. We stick mm-hmm. to ourselves. We don't reach out to the other. And, um, you know, I'm less shy than some. So I'll just say like, not, everybody, <laughs> not everybody has it. Right. But what what can, it can start with just eye contact. Right. It can start with eye contact smile. or a smile. And some of that, right, the reciprocity of that, um, that human connection that's been lost, that liberates the wildness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. I love that so much. Can I ask her the question? That yeah. Asked? Because I feel like this feeds into uh, the women who run with the wolves mm-hmm. and how there are a few precious doors into the world of the wild woman. So we're curious what your door might be, Fanny. So she writes, if you have a deep scar, that is a door. If you have an old, old story, that is a door. If you love the sky and water so much you can almost not bear it, that is a door. Or if you yearn for a deeper life, a full life, a sane life, that is a door. Is there one or maybe more than one door that you feel like was your key to your wildness? I definitely say number three. I mean, at first when you say scar, I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, I got plenty of wounds and scar and soul and psyche, right? What's that thing that scar has that same? Oh, the blessing wound, right? There's some stuff about the blessing wound. I could go there, but not. I'm not right now because that sky and water, it's been coming up for me a lot in the last few years. That's the thing. I mean, I grew up by the ocean. The ocean was the place where I first became acquainted with divinity and like spirituality, right? That moment of feeling small, right? Mm -hmm. So I got to spend a lot of time there and that wildness of then how the stars looked, it's changed, right? Because there were, there's just more development. And, and then there was a period in college, you were asking about college earlier. I was just talking about this with a friend last week because we were on a walk and we were like, look at the sky. <laughs> um, but there was a period in college where I was obsessed with the sky and the clouds, you know, young woman, 19, 20, 21, I don't know. And I was like, maybe I should become a meteorologist. <laughs> I literally was like, and I was getting really into like earth sciences too. I got quite into um, like oceanography and just the place, the meeting point where earth meets water, which mm. all of those places in the world, you know, I, I'm again, just very into the wisdom of the earth. You know, those juncture yeah. points where the elements come together yes. are really powerful spaces of exploration. So yeah, I can barely contain my love for water and sky and um, this tattoo is about that yeah. the pelicans and their connection to sky and water and the yeah the beauty of this vast world is mind-blowing to me 
Oh, and so um, and I feel like it's part of my job, right? Why I'm here is to hopefully help other people experience that. And you yeah. are. Yeah. You are. Yeah. Would you tell us a little more about, you have been involved with uh, a women's festival out east for a couple years mm-hmm. that includes sky and mm-hmm. nature and women's mm-hmm. wisdom coming together and just the power of that. Will you inspire us and our listeners and maybe help them know how they could maybe find it next year yeah, if it's happening? Because yeah. I think it's it has a really such similar a title. All right. Thing. It's called Her Festival. My husband is always confusing them. He's like, so you're going to Her Fest? I'm like, no, tend her. You know, like, <laughs> so anyway, this is called Her Festival. And um, it was started by a dear friend of mine who I met in my yoga studies, Stephanie Chibaria. Um, and started small and just has slowly grown and mostly happens in Rangeley, Maine, um, where she has, which is just sort of in the wilds of Maine. You know, it's a trek to get there, depending on where you fly into and that sort of thing. Not totally remote civilization, but um, beautiful part of the country. Similar to kind of Northwoods, those people that are listening that are Midwesterners, has a similar feel, but more hills and mountainous. And um, so we did a gathering the fall, the first big gathering was the fall of 2019, And then we finally, after many postponements, had a second bigger gathering this past spring in um, May. And we have already scheduled the one for 2023 will be the first weekend in May of 2023. So I think that's something like Wednesday to Sunday or Thursday to Monday. I don't quite, you know, it's like a five day generally retreat experience. And um, it's co-created. So there are usually five or six leaders kind of depending on, and we all have a similar, we all met because we studied with the same yoga teacher for so long, but now it's almost the way I described it in 2019. It was like, we were part of one mala, right? Like one necklace that we'd all kind of gotten woven into. And then we started to weave a new mala, right? Mm -hmm. With women's leadership, right? Because we had a male teacher and a male dominated lineage that is carrying the divine mother through her right but still we it was like the women's turn to I be in charge yeah. and so we kind of i was like oh this is the new mala right mm. we're, we were like still connected to that other mala um all those other beads but we're kind of yeah. in a new realm so, so that's been going on we did a lot of online gatherings last year but um yeah so there's stuff about that uh, already online at herfestival.com Great. for next and we'll year we'll put it in our show notes mm-hmm. to you what is the power of women coming together cuz i know you mm-hmm. for years have brought together women mm-hmm. like for you what is what's the why is it so powerful for you i mean i can i'll just share from that last experience since that was so recent um you know, just a few months ago to see the women that showed up and we probably had a group of like 20, 25, but it was fairly intimate that people showed up from different backgrounds, different ages, all, all female identifying. And they showed up partly, I think where we are in this time, they were so ready to connect, like, you know, coming into something they'd never, some of them had been before, a lot of them hadn't, but they came And they were so ready to dive in, right? Because of after these last few years, you know, just people are hungry for connection, hungry to be together. And so it was beautiful to see the, um, the, the desire of connection come forward. 
But I'd see in general, women are not women. I actually want to like ungender this right now for a minute that I love groups because of the common humanity. Mm. You know, th- this is, I think, what so drives so much of my work in general. If I can trace it all the way from theater to teaching yoga to working at the university to creating friend groups or like social circle, whatever it might be, it's like the common humanity that are like the desire to host parties, all of it. It's like people, you know, we're social creatures. Our brains are made to be together, right? Like they are made to be together. We're not made to, to be alone. Be by ourselves. Right. And, um, and so then what happens when we see the common humanity with one another, um, even with people that are different than us, you know, when we can unravel that. So to me, that's the power that comes from human beings coming together and then it, to bring it back to women, you know, just that the support that can come then through that common humanity. Um, that for me is the beauty. Yeah, to realize we're not alone, right? Mm-hmm. Which is such a deep seated core belief for so many, right? That yes. you know that feeling of separation, of disconnect. You know, it's it's hard to to reweave that one, yeah. but it is possible. Yeah. yeah, and Fanny, I really feel like you're one of the people on the planet that's here to do that because I've seen you do it over and over in a thousand different ways. Is how to bring people together and to help us realize we are connected. We're not alone. We, we have support networks. They're actually around us. Mm-hmm. Seen and unseen. Seen yeah. and unseen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have yeah. more in common than we do. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Okay. Tell our listeners where they can find you or anything mm-hmm. that's coming up that you're doing. By the way, Fanny is going to be at our urban renewal retreat so she's going to lead one of those powerful yoga nidras mm-hmm. and you'll get a chance yeah. to work in small groups with her so um there's more fanny coming down yes. the road september 23 to 25 yeah, but tell us what Thank else you for those opportunities yeah. um i don't know when this when there's it's a ret- coming out soon yeah there's a retreat that there are literally like one or two spots left for at lake superior at a beautiful retreat center called wild rice retreat center um august eighth I think is when it starts so I mean it would be like somebody listening to this being like right now that's right yeah. there might Sometimes be someone um, mm-hmm. uh, then her festival will be happening in May of 2023 um, I'm in a little bit of an incubation phase right now in terms of my personal teaching um, I have a yoga teacher training program that's wrapping up you can find me on my website fannyhungerford.com follow me on Instagram at fannyhungerford and, you know, mostly right now, the work I would be doing immediately would be helping people with personal practice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, wanting to create however small or however large a kind of home practice, whether that was movement-based or yoga nidra-based or drawing-based, um, you know, how you can weave the self-care and spiritual practices and simple ways into your day-to-day life. I love that personal touch that you mm. have with mm-hmm. people and making it personal for people. Yeah. What works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yay. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank You're you. welcome. Mm-hmm. So beautiful yes. to, to be in space with you always. Yes. Thank you, Fan. Yeah. Thank you, Fan. And now the amazing singer-songwriter, Lissy Morris with Wild West. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Come back and rewild with us again next week.